0: I'm Mary Ann mcgee Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Privacy Attorney Devin McGraw, who joined the Office of the Civil Rights in late June as Deputy Director of Health Information Privacy. Devin will be speaking to us today about her new role... At OCR, and some of the trends she's seeing in healthcare, data privacy, and security, as well as some of the work she's doing. So, now, Devin, when OCR announced that you were joining the agency, OCR said that you'd be spearheading policy enforcement, outreach on HIPAA, and also lead OCR's work on presidential and departmental priorities on health and privacy and security. Tell us a bit about what you're working on right now and some of the
1: initiatives and projects that are sort of top priority for you. Sure. I took this job on in June, June 29th was my first day. And so I really did step into the middle of a lot of ongoing work that had been, that the staff had been working on well before I got there. So enforcement, for example, our enforcement lead, Ileana Peters, works with our regions on enforcing... on. On a number of investigations and cases, and those continue ongoing. On the policy side, we have, as I mentioned in my talk, we have a lot of guidance that we're trying to get out on a range of issues, you know, patient access being a big one, cloud guidance, mobile devices is another one. And, you know, that guidance is in various stages of being ready, and so, you know, part of my job is to help. Get it done and get it, you know, get it out the door. We're doing a lot with the Precision Medicine Initiative that is President Obama's initiative to try to advance medical research. And obviously the sharing of data that's part of research has um, significant implications for privacy and security. So helping, you know, the range of um, federal entities working on that initiative to sort of think through those issues. And it's, and there are not just going to be HIPAA covered entities associated with that. That's, you know, going to involve a much broader spectrum. So while we have sort of the HIPAA rules that will apply to the covered entities in that space, how do you think through a framework that's going to apply to a much bigger ecosystem? And and are there ways that we can make that initiative more responsive to individuals than maybe some other research initiatives or maybe even beyond what is the baseline for what our rules require, but just as a matter of sort of good practice. So it's a lot. It's a big agenda, but um, lots of really exciting stuff. So now how has your previous privacy and federal advisory work,
0: especially like on the Tiger team, how has that helped you in getting settled at your role at OCR and what sort of insights does it bring to the job that maybe other people might've not had the same sort of experience with doing?
1: I think that that, that particular job prepared me to think about some of the questions that come up for HIPAA-covered entities in deploying electronic medical record technology because, you know, while there may be some clarity in the rules, I there are still some questions about how they apply to particular factual scenarios and lots of questions that come up with particularly the exchange of data among participants in the high-tech Electronic medical records program. These are issues that we highlighted as part of a number of recommendations that we provided, and where we indicated that there was a need for more specific guidance. And, I, you know, those were recommendations that I made, and I'm now in a position to help do something about. And so thinking through with with ONC about how we can be more proactive in getting some more specific information out to folks about how they can both exchange data electronically and also be in compliance with our rules is, is a pretty important priority. I think it also helped me to sort of understand the perspective of, of the policymaker side and the, the challenge to sort of getting things done and out the door and the and the enormous amount of outreach and thinking that even has to be done within a federal infrastructure before, you know, major policy pronouncements can go out the door. I mean, that's it's there's a reason for it, but it's not without its challenges. <laughs> What's the biggest challenge so far, would you say? So, I think I think the biggest challenge is that I have great staff, but I have too few for the dream that I have for this office. And that became really clear to me almost from day one or at least week one or if not month one. And that requires an assessment of, okay, well, well what can we do? How, do we, how can we be more strategic? What, what are the things that we need to prioritize versus what's the entire wish list? And, and I don't want things to ever come off of the wish list, but at the end of the day, I'm always going to be challenged to figure out how to be effective and efficient with less than I would like. And that's probably true for a lot of the covered entities that I and business associates that, that I regulate. So I I feel their pain. I experience a bit of it myself and that's probably the biggest challenge.
0: So now, as you know, there's been a number of major hacking attacks on the healthcare sector this year. What are the biggest privacy and security lessons that the healthcare sector needs to learn from those attacks right now, do you think?
1: I think the biggest lesson is that healthcare data is not immune to hacking, and that in fact, healthcare data is a target for hackers, that it is valuable to them. I get lots of questions from folks about why, and certainly you could sort of See value in identity theft and potential for fraud. Beyond that, it is a little bit of a head scratcher for me as well to, to understand why this data, um, at least in the mind of some pundits, has become more valuable than financial data or social security numbers. Nevertheless, I mean we're, we understand now. I think and the covered entities, unless they don't read a newspaper, should. Understand that this is a major threat and that it it is the risk of it is something that needs to be taken into account as part of the risk assessment under the security rule and safeguards need to be deployed to match it. Having said that, the majority of our breaches are still lost or stolen media that is unencrypted and for which carelessness is often a key factor. And these are preventable. I think that even if you have the best defense systems with hacking, there probably is no real way to get to zero risk on that issue. We expect people to do the best job they can with their resources because certainly we've seen some hacks that could have been prevented with the deployment of the reasonable safeguards and the implementation specifications that we put out in the rule. But there's no such thing as foolproof 100% 100% safe. These things will happen. We still have an expectation, though, that the people will deploy security in an attempt to prevent it. And again, we're still seeing the large majority of breaches are occurring in circumstances that, frankly, should not have happened. So
0: on that note, what should we, we be watching for on the enforcement front? I know there was a settlement that was just announced. How soon, for instance, might we see an enforcement action or a settlement, a resolution agreement involving a, a BA, for instance?
1: Well, it's really hard to predict on timing, and I don't, I don't like to, and I won't comment on any particular investigations that are ongoing right now. We investigate every breach of more than 500 records. And we look at a lot of breaches that are under 500 records. And we respond to complaints that people have filed about HIPAA violations. And we have an enforcement infrastructure in place to both look at these and investigate them. And if entities are out there thinking that we're Asleep at the wheel, then they need to wake up because we are not asleep at the wheel. Counting on not getting caught, counting on not getting audited, um, business associates will be part of the next phase of the audit program is probably a pretty risky strategy.
0: Speaking of the audit program, when will that resume? I know you had mentioned it and Director Samuels also mentioned yesterday that it's coming soon. Is there
1: a timeline? We've hired a federal contractor to help us deploy it, and we're at the phase of beginning to onboard the staff and begin to develop the materials that will be associated with that, like the the protocol, and the. there's sort of a series of papers on the different issues that we'll look at. It'll be a more targeted audit and a bit smaller than the first one that we did. I am hoping that we will be able to begin issuing some of the paperwork associated with this for public feedback, if not by the end of this year, then very early in 2016.
0: So the actual audits wouldn't begin probably at the earliest 2016? That's correct. And you said a smaller number, smaller than the 115 that were done the pilot, or
1: smaller than the number of surveys that were sent out? Oh, no, it's not smaller than the 115. But in terms of the, it's going to be more targeted, we're not going to try to look at everything. We're going to be a bit more focused on some key areas of interest for us, and we are likely to do more examination of policies from organizations and not necessarily do full site visits for all of them. The full site visit form of audit, while it can be very effective, it's also very expensive. And so we're looking at how we can learn the most about what's going on in entities most efficiently in order both to learn more about what's going on in the field but also to sort of send a message to folks that we are in fact quite serious about audits and we're going to be we're going to continue to use that tool as both to both inform policy guide, what needs to be addressed in policy guidance but also for enforcement purposes
0: so now, how will the audit work be split between OCR and the contractor?
1: Will OCR people be doing the actual audits and are the contractor yeah. support? We need contractor help to, to deploy this because our staff is so small, but how that's going to sort of be divided up between us and them, they will be us essentially. Um, it, it's just really premature to, to say.
0: HHS also has various rulemaking that's in the works. For instance, That rulemaking includes how OCR might divvy up financial penalties that it collects and how to share that with actual breach victims, as well as the next phase of the long-awaited accounting disclosure rule. What's the status on these rules, and what should we be watching for first, do you think?
1: So both of those are still under consideration. The accounting of disclosure provisions and implementing the high-tech changes has proven to be a big challenge. I don't think I'm saying anything new. And we are evaluating the comments um, carefully and considering how we move that forward forward you know there were there were both the changes to the accounting of disclosure aspects to it and then there was the implementation of the high tech provisions is it possible for example to finalize a portion of that while still you know sort of grappling with the pieces of that that are harder to grapple with this is again something we're taking under consideration no decisions have been made yet the there are pieces of that high-tech provision that are very technology dependent and for which we don't necessarily have the ideal set of technologies at least at this point widely implemented to move forward with the the policy ideal that was envisioned in that provision and so you know, sort of thinking through how we do that is is a big challenge. The the penalty issue, which is which involves how do we get a portion of civil monetary penalties and settlement dollars to individuals whose data were involved in a either in a breach or in a non compliance situation. You know, there were the GAO report that came out on that several years ago was somewhat helpful, but this is really new territory um, from a policy standpoint. You don't really see this implemented in other jurisdictions and so this it's a bit of a first impression case for us Um, we are going to get something out that will ask for a lot of um, feedback from the public on how to move forward with this i foresee that i don't know that we'll be able to get something out before the end of the year but but if we can't then in the early part of 2016 now as between those two things like what comes out first I don't want to say, in part because what's still under consideration with accounting is whether there are some pieces of it that we might be able to move without sort of dealing with the whole ball of wax that was in that proposed rule. So, But both are, are remain regulatory priorities for us. It's part of what we report officially in terms of our regulatory calendar. So folks should continue to stay tuned on both of those. So to wrap up, what should we be watching for first? Patient access guidance is the thing that you should probably be watching out for first, although it's quite possible we may settle some cases too. Thanks,
0: Devin. I've been speaking to Devin McGraw. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.